this is um, an email assignment or an email sign-up sheet. If you want to be on an email list, I will try to send emails. We'll try to send some emails in this class just to keep us together and maybe just to offer some points uh, from time to time. If you would just fill that out, that'll be assimilated. And if you want to, go ahead and turn to John, uh, John 2. I, I hope to get to this sometime today um, because I like to uh, set the stage for John as we're going along. So I know a lot of you have, have, have asked me, and I just want to, uh, as we begin the class today, the question has come up last week. So did, did I really hear correctly that the associate dean of undergraduate Bible at David Lipscomb University said that he did not like John? Yeah, I heard that. That's, that's, that's pretty much what he said. No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> I wanted to tell you how that all happened. Uh, the, uh, Eric Livingston, who does our adult Bible classes and who's on sabbatical right now, he, he uh, asked uh, me to assist Tom Norville. Do you all know who Tom Norville is? Yes. Tom Norville uh, has been a pulpit preacher for 40 years. And he stepped out of the pulpit last year and they moved and placed membership at Otter Creek. And it was a the elders received a, a very gracious letter from him. But Tom had agreed to teach this class this summer. And I had agreed to kind of fill in when, when he was, would be going some places. Um, and um, so two weeks ago, Tom accepted a job in Austin, Texas uh, with um, um, hospice care, uh, a live hospice. And so they up and moved, and we were left without out a teacher and my name was on there and, and uh, they had already contacted uh, Rhonda to ask if Rhonda might assist and I have absolutely no idea what Eric has on George but uh, George agreed to teach this guy. Did you even know it was John at the time? Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway so that's that's the defense is that uh, that this may not be his favorite gospel, but that's how he got roped into teaching this class. Let me say this. The other night, Josh, was, uh, Josh Graves was talking to the elders at the elders meeting, and he, he made this statement, and I thought then, I have to share that with this class. <clears throat> he said, what a unique place Otter Creek is to have so many gifted Lipscomb teachers and theologians uh, that are among us that are willing, willing to step up and teach classes. Amen. That's a tremendous gift to us. Um, uh, he said that Josh made the statement that the only other church that might be like that is Highland in Texas at Abilene. Uh, that would be the only other place. So we're going to play a little game as we begin this morning. Which one of these three things is not like the other one? <laughs> huh? I'm I'm happy with that. Okay, no. <laughs> I consider myself more Amos-like. Amos didn't even claim to be a prophet. He just railed on people. That's what he loved to do. Okay, so. In a time in history, in the first century, 
at the end of the first century when the average male lifespan was 48 years old. 40 was over the hill. 60 was, wow. 80 was godlike. That's where John is. He's an old man, a presbyteros. He's the only one left. Think about it. The, the story is that James was thrown off the temple, the temple wall, the southeast corner of the temple. James was thrown off that, that place somewhere around 50, 52. Peter and Paul were both killed by Nero in Rome in the summer of 63, 64, somewhere around there. John moves with Mary, his charge that Jesus gave on the cross. He moves with Mary to Ephesus to pastor seven churches, which are the seven churches of Revelation, to pastor those churches after Paul left. Paul started these churches, got them going, and, uh, and now they're fledgling. They don't have anybody that would be in charge. And John is the only one left, and all of the others have died violent deaths. Now just think about that for just a second. We've got this new Christianity thing going on, and he's the only one left. I would say, as many scholars would say, and if you're a scholar, I ask you just to park that today because I don't need to be corrected. No, I'm just <laughs> George is so gracious. George will just, he'll kindly get me over to the side and go, well, that was not right. <laughs> um, but anyway. But most scholars would say that the, that the New Testament, in some form or fashion, it wasn't compiled, but it was um, being circulated. Paul's letters were certainly being circulated. Mark was written, if we take the four Gospels, Mark was written, where, how does Mark start his Gospel? Anybody? Mark starts his Gospel with the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Matthew and Luke start with genealogies, one of Joseph and one of Mary. And John's gospel begins how? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It, it's, it's presenting Jesus as a gift to the world, but the actual word in Greek is cosmos, universe. It's to the whole, it's everything. He was in the beginning at, at everything. Um, so the Gospels are being passed around. Uh, probably Matthew and Luke were, were not written, written until the 80s. And then John starts writing. Now John is pastoring these churches and he's going around from, uh, going around from uh, place to place. And he's preaching, he's teaching. And he's read the, the synoptics. At least he's read Mark. And I think he probably liked them. But he has different stories. He has stories that aren't included. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John is seven miracles. It's built around seven miracles that aren't contained anywhere else. Most of what you find in John is new material. Uh, John, as George said last week, John is simplistic in style, but it is very deep theologically. Um, I have no idea what the next slide is, so let's look. Oh, so 
as, as I'm teaching my part of this class, I want you to look for several things. I want you to look for, in, this, in Scripture, I want you to look for where Jesus is misunderstood. Um, George, last week, uh, in, when he was doing the Protologos, um, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He was misunderstood from the very beginning. And John will tell us over and over and over, Jesus, they said something, Jesus thought was good, they didn't understand a thing he said. And it's constant. The next thing is the wisdom writings, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Um, and I talked to another theologian friend of mine, uh, A.J. Levine, about this. And she denies that the Council of Jamnia ever even <laughs> took place. But at the same time John is writing this, there are rabbinical scholars who are in a, uh, in a meeting, much like the Nicene Council. You know how they formed the New Testament? All those, all those councils, that's what that was all about. What's going to be in the New Testament, what's not? Well, they were doing the same thing around the writing of, of John. They were doing the same thing to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament canon was not truly set in stone until almost the 200s A.D. So they're still fighting over it. And they're meeting in Jamnia, and they're discussing whether to kick Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon out of the out of the book. John's answer to that I'll show you in just one second, but let me go ahead and get rid of this slide. Now, the next thing that's unique to this gospel is where John will pull us over to the side and whisper in our ear. And he'll just say, this happened so that you might need it. And ultimately he'll say in, in, the, uh, in the 21st chapter of this book, this, I write this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. And that's why John wrote this thing. He had no other, no other uh, motive uh, to do it. Okay, so, um, as we began last week with the Protologos, John begins a defense of his cousin, John the Baptist. Now, I'm going I'm to assert something here that you don't have to believe, you don't have to go this route. But I'm just going to show you some stuff, and I want you just to think about it. That's all I ask. Don't leave here calling me a heretic. Just, just think about it. Because we all know that, John, uh, that uh, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. They were cousins. Some first or second cousin, I don't know. But they were cousins. Okay. So when Jesus... So, so John the Baptist was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and what does the Bible say about how old they were when he was born? They were old. And so literally, they probably died. They probably died. John, how did John dress? What was different about him? Camel skin. Camel skin, and he ate locusts and wild honey. We remember that. Why did he do that? Yeah, he was kind of like, you know, um, there's another group of people that are in the wilderness, and they're the Qumran people, the people, the, uh, uh, I can't even think of the name, Essenes. The Essenes that live in, in uh, communities in Qumran down around the Dead Sea. And they say things like, 
I'm coming to prepare the way for the Lord. See, they thought that the temple, that the Pharisees and Sadducees were not holy enough. And so they said, we're going to go do our own thing and we're going to be holy. As a result, they washed constantly. They did, did constant things. But John talks like an Essene. All right? So when Jesus comes to be baptized in one, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. you got two cousins meeting. I don't know if they met for the first time. I don't know. But I want to throw another thing in there. I want to throw that I think that, uh, John the Bap- that John, the writer of this gospel, is also a cousin. Okay, let's just look. Matthew 4, 1. So going on from there, he saw two, other bro- two of the brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, and they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing this. So James and John are brothers. Okay? Now we're at the cross for these next three. Just read them and think about them. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So she's there at the cross. Mark, Mark 15. Some women are watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, which that's Joseph up here, and Salome. That's the mother of Zebedee's sons. Okay? Now, once again, I can't prove it. This is the way I choose to read it. And if you read it like this, I think it'll mean something to you. When he was in Galilee, these women used to follow and minister to him, and there were many other women who came up uh, with him to Jerusalem. And then in John, but standing at the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So once again, we have his mother's sister, and I equate her as Salome. Anybody want to refute it? Is it plausible? If it's plausible, just nod your head. It's, it'll make the whole thing go a lot better. If you're just <clears throat> so, John the Baptist is, I think as John starts writing this, he's writing a defense of John the Baptist. Because many people came to John the Baptist and said, you're the Messiah, you're doing something so different. As a matter of fact, John's doing something really radically different. What's he doing? He's baptizing. The only baptism that we knew up until that point was proselyte baptism, which is where a Gentile will say, I want to convert to Judaism, and they would be baptized, okay? But John was baptizing for a different reason. What's John baptizing for? The remission of sins. You confess it. Why does that not, why do sins not, I don't want to say it that way. Why do sin, why are sins not a big deal for Jews? They are, but then they aren't. They're atoned for. Covenant nomenism. You've never lived your life until you have a Jew roll up his sleeve and say, you see that right there? That's the blood of Abraham running right through there, buddy. I don't need you, Jesus. And that's how they felt. And so sins were a big deal, but then again, they weren't a big deal because that was covered under the covenant of Abraham. Okay. Um, So up until... There are groups up until the year 200 that are still watching John, are still worshiping John the Baptist as a Messiah. 
Look at this in Acts 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, what were you baptized in? I was baptized into John's baptism because they thought it was something so radical, so new. It was what they wanted. Uh, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And in John, in this gospel, you will see that that's what he continually does. John is saying, my cousin was not a bad guy. Don't worship him. He constantly said, I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. I can't even tie his sandals. Okay? Yes? Sort of was baptism with all the ceremonial washings. I mean, there was a, I mean, they, they didn't totally go around and say, I don't have to do anything. They, they, well, that's, but that was the, the ceremonial washing, washings were to be ritually pure to go into the temple and all that. I agree totally. And it, a good Jew has mikvahs. A mikvah is, we would call it a baptism, a baptismal. Uh, but a mikvah is uh, a ceremony place of cleansing. As a matter of fact, several of you have been to Israel here. I'm looking at Bob, but uh, right, off the, right off the side of the temple is a house that they think was Caiaphas's house. It has seven mikvahs built into the house where he could just walk from one room to another and he would be really clean. Remember when Paul went back when Paul went back to Jerusalem, uh, it took him a week to get ceremonial clean, to get back into the temple. He had to do all these rituals. Okay, so, um, all right, let's look at chapter 2. So it's the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Just think about that. Why would they invite Jesus and his disciples to the wedding? Wine, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Wine they have not. Why do you involve me? Well, I'm, I'm, um, let, me, let me give you my translation. Jesus, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, Woman, what is that to me and you? Not yet is come my hour. Let's, let's just stop right here. I want to assert that this wedding is John's wedding. You can go and you can read a million different theories on this. It's everybody from Jesus' wedding to... A, but, but I think this is really important. Notice how important Mary seems at this wedding. Now, you have to understand what, a Jew, what happens at a Jewish wedding. It's a week-long celebration. And they go and they eat and they're all together and it culminates with, well, it culminates literally with the culmination of marriage. Uh, it culminates in intercourse, literally. I'll show you that in a minute. Um, now, everybody's hanging on the edge of your seat. All right. <laughs> um. <laughs> your, class, your freshman classes would be a lot more interesting. <laughs> so... Um, they, they go, I, I just remember going, uh, just this last time, we just went, going to Nazareth. You leave, leave Capernaum. Uh, you, we, were, we stayed in Tiberias, literally. And it's 16 miles from, uh, from there to Nazareth. 16 miles. That's it. It's from here to Hickory Hollow. As you're going up, uh, our guide says, 
uh, we're now going through Cana of Galilee. We'll be in Nazareth in two minutes. I'm like, don't we want to stop and have a devotional here? I mean, they just drive through. There's nothing there, nothing to see. There's, you can buy Cana wine. <laughs> the, the, the most clever one I saw is you can, you can go in a little shop and they sell bottles of Cana water. And it says, try your luck. <laughs> Whoever thought of that, man, that's awesome. <clears throat> but Cana is real close to Nazareth. So if Mary is from Nazareth and her sister is from Nazareth, it would stand to reason she might marry somebody in Cana. You see, see what I'm saying? It's so close that this is somebody's wedding that they knew. Now then, so Jesus' disciples are invited. Who would invite a ragtag bunch of disciples unless Jesus had a prominent invitation because he was a cousin, a first cousin? And they said, well, while you're coming, just bring your Talmudim. Does anybody know what a Talmudim is? Students, absolutely. Bring your students. Jesus, probably not, form, not a formal rabbi, but certainly acted like a rabbi. If it walks like a rabbi and talks like a rabbi, it's probably a rabbi. And, and he, would have, he took on 12 guys as his Talmudim, his personal Talmudim. What does a Talmudim do? They eat, sleep, drink, live with their rabbi until they learn enough about Torah that they can go on their own. Here's how a rabbi talks like that. A rabbi will say, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We think that means he's a carpenter. He builds yokes. That's a rabbinical statement to say, come study with me. You won't have to memorize Amos. I'll tell you what Amos meant. I'll tell you all the stories that Amos was trying to teach the people. Okay. So they go to this wedding. Now let's, let's, let's go and let's kind of parse some of these words. Uh, the third day probably was Tuesday. A wedding took place. Jesus' mother was there. The disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Uh, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Literally, wine they have not. Now, that's a big deal. If you don't have, you know, food, if you don't have food and drink, your family suffers shame. Okay. Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, how many of you heard Josh's sermon on this a couple of weeks ago? How, what do you think about it? Had you ever thought about that before? People ask me all the time, why do you keep going back to Israel? It's because on the third trip back to Israel, I learned that. I had to pay $7,000 to do it, but it was worth it. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so Jesus is... Uh, Jesus. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna tell. It. Sorry. It's it's yeah. It's it's okay. It's okay. All right, I got this. I know your pain. I'm the one that studied all week. She's just been walking around. What are you doing? Okay. I know she does. She doesn't want me to fail. Be a failure. So, Jesus' mother looks at him and says, wine they have not. Now, this has always bothered me, George. Because Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, 
What is it to you and me? Not yet has come my time. That's always bothered me. Because literally, there's no way to sugarcoat it. You may have a translation that sugarcoats it, but gune, the word gune, woman, is in the Greek. He could have said homater, mother. He did not. He said, woman, what is it? Now, I'm sure he didn't, because Jesus didn't sin. I'm sure there's some way he said it, but it's always bothered me. Josh, Ronnie, our, our, uh, our guide, Ronnie Cohen. Cohen in Hebrew means high priest. So we call him the high priest of guides because he's fabulous. And Ronnie told, got Josh over to the side and Josh and I and said, do you know why Jesus didn't leave home until he was 30? It's because his father was gone. And he was the oldest son. And in Jewish tradition, the oldest son takes care of the family until they're 30. Does anybody know what age you could sign up to be a temple priest? What age could you leave home and become a temple priest? 30. It's just amazing. That's amazing. And what she is saying to him is, your time has come, Bubba. And he's saying, ah, no, my time, you, y'all got, you need taken care of. And I don't know if James was just a crazy man. I don't know what the deal is, but when Jesus gives his charge to his mother, he doesn't give it to James. He gives it to John. That's just interesting. That's an interesting thought. So, I love the way that uh, that he rebuts her. He says, uh, what is that to you and me? Not yet has come my time. And then she looks at him and she looks at the servants and she says, do what he says. Can you imagine going home that night if he hadn't made water into wine? That would have been a bad gig. And all the sermons you've ever heard on this concentrate on the six stone jars and the fact that they, can, that they totally contained 180 gallons of water and if you convert that into wine at $30 a bottle, that works out to like 27,000. Oh, and by the way, Hilton, the, what's the alcohol content of that wine? It's only 12%. 12%? Isn't it? It's grape juice, is what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> all the sermons you've ever heard, that's all you've ever heard about this, is how much the wine was worth and how extravagant. Here's, here's the point. The point is, Jesus took something that the Jews had made ritual for washing. These are washing, washing pots. Like, unlike mikvahs, they don't have a mikvah. They got a bunch of a water. And in order for you to be ceremonially pure, you got to go over and wash in these jars before I can even associate with you. Jesus took something that the Jews meant for ritual washing and he converted it to joy. That's the kingdom. That's what he did. I want you to notice just a couple other things. <clears throat> I'm going to skip all that part. Look at verse 9. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside says John 
everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best on out. Nobody else knew. This is the first of the miraculous signs. That word sign is really big in John. Jesus performed in Gal Cana of Galilee and thus he revealed his glory. That's my favorite word in all of Greek. Doxa. If you ever read the word glory, something good has just happened or is about to happen and you won't forget it. That's how he revealed his glory and his disciples then, his Talmudim, put their faith in him. Now then, keep on going. After this, which is just a loose chronological connector, he went down to Capernaum, 16 miles, went down to Capernaum with who? His mother and his brother and his father. Where's his father? Dun, dun, dun. <clears throat> and here he stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, he went up to Jerusalem. You can't, every time you go to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem because you're going for the purpose of studying. Amy Jill Levine would say, if you're on the moon, you would still go up to Jerusalem because you're going up to study. In the temple court, he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Notice how intentional he was at this. He made a whip out of cords and he drove them from the temple area. See, but, they, he would have never gotten in the he building. That's right. He wouldn't. We're, just, we're really we're making fun of that. Okay. Both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. Let me just show you something about the Temple Mount. By the way, this last time that we went to Israel, we, we made it on top of the Temple Mount. During Solomon's era, the Temple Mount was three acres. Herod the Great expanded it to 13 acres. The temple would be here like this, the Holy of Holy, the Naos would be there. There would be these courts and around this would be where Jew, Jewish men could go. The priests could go here. The high priest could go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. This is Jewish. This is women. This is Gentiles. Gentiles who had been proselyte baptized but had not taking the next step circumcision Whew. okay so this this um, money thing had to happen because you drive you come for drive for so far no, you walk for so far to get to the temple and you don't have the sheep that you need to be to sacrifice matter of fact a sheep to be sacrificed had to come from Bethlehem had to come from Bethlehem because a sheep cannot walk more than five miles on the day that it's sacrificed. Bethlehem is 4.2 miles from the temple. So they were raised and they were certified unblemished by the priest. The high priest has a tower in Bethlehem called Migdal Edgar, which they set up in their tower and they looked and they would certify the sheep from the tower. That's awesome. So you would have to come and the money changers would normally set up, uh, Jeff, they set up on the Mount of Olives. Here's what Jesus is ticked off at. They've, taken, they've come here and they've set up in the Gentiles' 
space. They're changing money. The Gentiles are still around. This is the closest, if you're a Gentile, you can get to praying. What, what is right there? Ark. More importantly, what is right there? The God. God resides between the cherubim contained in the Holy of Holies. He's there. Don't never, never mind that he left in Ezekiel 19. But, but that's where the presence of God is supposed to be. Right there. And so if you're a Gentile, this is the closest you can get. By the way, the Wailing Wall is right there. And underneath the Wailing Wall, there is a spot. I've got a picture of it. There's a spot and it says, you are the closest place on earth where God has actually been. This is it. And there are Jews that pray there 24 hours a day. Um, okay, so go back to our, our deal. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Why? Why would, what's, that, what's the big deal about that? To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. A dove is a poor man's sheep. Remember when Jesus and his, and his parents came and he was consecrated at the temple? They offered a dove. A dove is a poor man's sheep. He were keeping the poor from praying to God. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Now, now I just want to show you this real quick. Um, this is Matthew's rendition of this. By the way, a lot is made over the fact that John does this at the beginning of his ministry and all the, other, all the synoptics do it at the end of his ministry. Might he have done it twice? I don't know, and I really don't care. It, I, I just open the, leave the possibility open in your mind that that could have happened the way John said it would happen. So, he goes and he does this and he said to them, it's written, my house should be called a house of prayer but you're making it a den of robbers. And that comes from Isaiah. Joel from Mountain, my house will be a house of prayer and you're making it a den of robbers. Go to Mark. My house should be a house of prayer. You're making it a den of robbers. Go to Luke. My house should be a house of prayer. You're making a den of robbers. Who got it right? Them or John? Because John says from the wisdom writings I'm sorry it's zeal for your house that has consumed me and the insults of those have fallen onto me. John's trying to prove that there's just as much in the wisdom writings as there is in all the I've read the others they're right but I'm also right. He said, this is what I was thinking in my mind. The disciples remembered that it is written. This is what I was thinking. Is that cool? Okay. Let's go on. Uh, I, could, I could do all the rest of it, but how much time have I got? Not much. Okay. Let's go to Nicodemus. <clears throat> Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, were chapter three. And Jesus said, and he came to Jesus at night, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. I think Nicodemus had a pure heart. 
I think what Nicodemus was doing was he was coming as an older, studied rabbi, and he was going to put his arm around this little 30-year-old fledgling and say, boy, this is how we do it. Well, and, but, he, but he qualifies why he says he's a rabbi. Okay. He says your miraculous signs are evidence that God is I agree with that. I think, he's a, I think he's a believer. Ultimately, it's Nicodemus that buries Jesus. He's a believer. He just he wants to incorporate him into this whole Jewish thing. And Jesus is like, hmm. No one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus declared, and in my opinion, this comes totally from left field. I tell you the truth. Is that Haman, Haman? Yeah, Jesus does this thing. Haman, Haman. It's translated, I tell you the truth. You might say verily, verily. We say amen, amen. Hey man, hey man. That's what Jesus does constantly. I tell you the truth, unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that just seems like it's coming from totally left field. But I believe that that uh, I believe that Nicodemus had been talking. This is all rabbis do all day long. They sit around, they talk about stuff. I think Jesus saw the conversation they had been having that day about this born, being born again as a matter of fact the rabbis said that if a man was born again he became a new creature so much so that he could marry his mother and they would not live in sin it was the debate of the day you with me <clears throat> Nicodemus how can a man be born when he's old surely he cannot enter a second time he knows that's a stupid statement Jesus says, Hey man, hey man, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again, born from above, not again, born from above. The, the wind, your Bible probably translates that wind, but it's the same word as spirit, panama. The spirit blows wherever it pleases. You may hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, here's what, the, what he's talking about. <clears throat> he's talking about Ezekiel 36 where Ezekiel is saying, there is a time coming. There's a time coming when I'm going to put a new spirit in your heart. It's about spirit. And we, I castigate, my upbringing here, but we in Churches of Christ have spent so much emphasis on the water in baptism. You know, it's the water. And if you don't get every hand under there, then, you know, you better body slam that lady because she ain't going to make it. You know, you got, you got to, it's about the water. Look at what Jesus says it's about. Look at five. I tell you the truth, unless a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Flesh can verse the flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, the Spirit blows wherever it will. So everyone born of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit. That's what he says here in Ezekiel. I will sprinkle you with what? Heresy, heresy. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. How is that possible? That didn't, we didn't get that in. Okay. 
I will cleanse you from your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk with my statutes. Here's what I would tell you. Anytime you get an opportunity to baptize somebody, you need to believe that it's not the water, but something, just like Carrie Underwood's song, most appropriate song ever, something happens in the water. The Spirit of God meets you in the water. And when you come up, it's the Spirit living inside of you. So that we, we pray so that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. Something happens. That's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus. Um, and then we get to the most controversial part of the day. <clears throat> How many of you have red letter editions of the Bible? I'm about to blow your mind. Okay. John 3.16. I don't believe. This may bring me here. I don't believe Jesus said this. In my opinion, this is John's sermonic conclusion to the whole thing he said this far. This is it. <laughs> when I was at Abilene, Dr. Tom Albright was teaching. I had, had him for Luke. I had him for Luke and, and the door would be slightly ajar and every time he mentioned the Holy Spirit, I promise, as God is my witness, Every time he mentioned the Holy Spirit, the door would go. <laughs> some, some guy asked him in class one day. He, you, do you all know who Dr. Tom Albright is? He's just he's a hilarious. And somebody asked him one day in class, uh, Dr. Albright, guy in woods says, da, 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 and he goes, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Who in the world is guy in woods? <laughs> 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 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son to the world condemn the world but to save the world through him do you see Jesus saying this or do you see John saying this as his conclusion to his sermon Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That word there is monogenes. Now John has spent 50 years trying to make sense of what his cousin did. He can't put it into words. You've got to admit, the protologos, the prologue, is fabulous. He can't put it into words, but he has spent time preaching and teaching and saying these are different things. And he uses a word here called monogenes, one and only. Let me go to John. One and only. <clears throat> his one and only son. You may have a Bible that says only begotten. I, maybe in some sense, it means it's a unique individual. There's nothing like it ever been, ever been made because Jesus is not a created being. He was in the beginning. But he has a unique relationship with God the Father unlike anything else. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do another part of this. 
in Greek, <coughs> this is really funny because Strahan was here last, last week and he teaches Greek. George teaches Greek. And I'm terrible at Greek, so that, it is funny. <coughs> but there are three words in Greek for the word with. Pros, meta, soon. Soon is, I'm with, I'm with him. Okay? Meta is, we're all with one another. Pros is Delinar pros. Nobody else in here is pros to me. Well, Hilton and I are good friends. <laughs> but pros is a unique relationship that can only be shared with one. So when he says in Logos, Kaya Logos, Ain pros tone theon. He was with God in the beginning. It's the way that John has figured out how to tell you what the relationship between God and Jesus is. Because there is no... You look at... Read the synoptics. You'll come away with very little divinity. They'll say stuff like Son of God. But they won't, they won't admit like Thomas is going to admit in John chapter 20 when he sees the scars on Jesus' arms. He falls to his knees and he says what? My Lord and my God. There is not a greater statement of divinity in the Gospels than that. Monogenes is a hapex legomena. It's used only in John. George says it's used in the Septuagint. But it's used only in John. It's a word that John picked out of the air to say, this is something unique and I want you to see it's unique. As a matter of fact, there's 15,000 wor 15, words in the Gospel of John. There's a thousand of them that are used totally different than the synoptics. And there's 112 of them that are hapex legomena. John's trying to do something unique. So George, I love you, but I love John. <laughs> he loves Luke. I love John. It's for that reason. Any questions? Is it hot in here? I'm extremely hot. <clears throat> Any other comments? Back to the spirit. Yeah. Uh, you know, man got messed up when they sinned. Right. But back in Genesis 2, when man was created, it says God breathed into him the breath of life. Because then there's a sense that God put his spirit into us in the beginning. Right. And we turned our back on it. We turned our back we on it. We turned him. our back yeah. on it. And this is the way we get it back. Right? To recognize that it's there. Right. And, and uh, we possess life from God. That's it. Anybody else? Yeah. I think that you have to be born again or born from above. So I think you were right online when you said that Nicodemus was trying to say, hey, this is a Jewish thing, right? And Jesus, no, you got to be born from above or born again. It can be translated either way, and maybe it means both. Right. So it's going to be bigger than just the Jewish people. To be born, to be in the kingdom, you got to be born. Mm -hmm. Not of flesh, but you got to be born of the spirit, which opens it up to people that aren't Jewish. That's it. So, big point. Yes, Bob. Regal, um, getting back to another subject. And is, is belief a choice? Is John saying whoever believes, is that a choice then? Or not a choice? I think it's a choice, but the, I have friends that would say I'm not gifted with the gift of faith. So, I don't know how to answer that. 
That's Lauren. That's for La the week Lauren teaches because <laughs> she's into that predestination, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Anybody else? Yeah, Fred. So was Jesus a reluctant Messiah? A reluctant Messiah? Is it that, or is, is he fearing for the protection of his family? Why did he not tell James, take over, buddy? He did, he, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's a good thought. The idea is in that, that wedding, the, the interaction between him and Mary is, makes more sense if he needs Mary's permission to start his ministry. That's, that's true. That's the whole point about once Mary says, okay, he says, it's not my time, she turns and says, do whatever he says, meaning that gives Jesus permission to say, no, it is your time. I'm, I'm releasing you from your responsibility to take care of me and the family. Right. You can start your ministry now. Yeah. And that's the best explanation I've ever read about that interaction because it's such a, he, he treats her so harshly, it seems like. But if he needs her permission, then it's not as harsh as it, as it sometimes is. And see, so you got that for free. I had to pay $7,000 to get that. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week.